0: Yes, my friends, we're rolling out a very special barrel today as part of the Cool Room podcast. It's the first of... Two episodes with Wild Barrel Brewing from San Diego. Bill is going to be our guest. Uh, my name is David Griffiths, your host, and very soon I'll be joined by my friend Warren Wu to talk all things Wild Barrel. Uh, it's a double episode today because Bill was so generous with his time and just has so much knowledge that there was no way we could cram it into one episode. Uh, I think this is going to become a firm fan favourite of an episode Uh, and I also think it's the kind of episode that you might want to share with your friends or perhaps someone's shared it with you and this is your first time in the cool room. Uh, If it is, let me explain a few little bits and pieces. First of all, this episode and the next one, are accompanied by a seven pack of amazing wild barrel beers that we can ship anywhere in Australia. Uh, So if you haven't already checked out our online store, I'd really encourage you to do that and that way you can enjoy this episode to its maximum. The beers are amazing, as you'll hear, the flavours even the textures of them uh, and the knowledge that Bill shares about them is just great. Uh, So that'll maximise your experience. Um, Simplest way to find us is just to Go to Google and Google Cool Room. Pod, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Pod Shop, Cool Room Shopify, uh, or coolroom Room Podcast Shopify, and you'll find the store. Jump on there and you can find the Wild Barrel Pack and we can ship that out to you and you can enjoy the episode to its maximum. Uh, for those who are new to The call cool Room, we're about 131 episodes in and uh, this started two or three years ago when I bought a pub in West Melbourne. The podcast was originally going to be all about what it's like to own and run a pub. Called the call cool room because the call cool room's the thing that kept on breaking down and became the mainstay of the discussion of the podcast. During COVID, uh, we started to do some online meet the brewers series, of which this is obviously an episode. And over time, we shut the doors of the pub. We've now just done the live episodes uh, on Zoom. But we're about to get back into doing live episodes in the flesh. Uh, So if you're in Melbourne, Australia, at the end of May, we've got three awesome events coming up. Uh, Two with our friends from Beer Deluxe in Federation Square. Uh, We're going to be reviving the Hair of the Dog breakfast. Uh, Just an awesome morning. Uh, Eight courses of breakfast food. uh, Eight different beers from four different breweries. We're going to have Dollar Bill, Future Mountain, Deeds and Hop Nation, Uh, four of the absolutely best brewers in Melbourne and they're going to be sharing, or I should say Victoria, sorry Dollar Bill, uh, going to be sharing some of their beers which are going to be expertly matched with food. Uh, Then the following Saturday we're going to be down at Yarra Botanica on the the mighty Yarra River uh, and enjoying some beer cocktails mixed by the experts down there and joined with some amazing Australian native food snacks. And then that night, we're back to Uh We're going to have Three Ravens and Hop Nation with us for a vegan dinner. Uh, it's going to be a truly spectacular evening. Uh, okay, I think that's pretty much all of my uh, shilling it done. But let me just say, if you are new to the podcast, please subscribe to it. Uh, and please join us on our social media, on the Instagram and on the Facebooks. So that, that way you can keep up to date with all of our future events uh, and don't miss out on them. And That way you can join us live in the Zoom room. And just like you'll hear in Episode 2, you'll get to ask uh, our fantastic guests, just like Bill questions for yourself. Okie dokie, without any further ado, let's get Warren Wu into the room and let's start this conversation with Bill. Well, it's episode 131 of The Cool Room. Uh, Obviously, we're proud of every episode that we've had along the way, but we have a real treat here this afternoon, Melbourne time, uh, as Bill Sysak from Wild Barrel Brewing is joining us live from San Diego. But before I say good day to him, I'm going to say to my good friend, Warren Wu, how are you, Warren Wu? I'm very good, David Griffiths. How are you? I'm good. Enjoying being able to sit down after a busy day yesterday and um, to be inside looking at the leaves turning colour for autumn and to be looking forward to some big. Hearty beers this afternoon, especially the stout that we're going to finish on. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got a really fascinating uh range of beers and and a really I think we've got a really super fascinating guests who 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 will I think this will meander a little bit. I know how our our listeners love it when we go completely off course. Um, but I think Bill is the perfect person to do that with. Um but yeah, I'm I'm very excited about this.
0: Well, let's kick off.
1: Um, yeah, okay, Bill. So welcome to the podcast. Uh thank, thank you very you. much for 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 offering your time and and um and giving us a, a beautiful guided tour of uh, the lovely beers you've you've presented us with. Um, I thought a great way to start would be let's discuss wild, let's discuss wild barrel to begin with and and what and and tell us about Uh, Let's start with the physical brewery and the tap room and and where you hark from.
2: Okay. So, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Wild Barrel Brewing was started or had our first opening day on September 30th, 2017. We haven't, our tasting room's been open every single day since we've never closed during the pandemic, During holidays, anything like that. I'm a firm believer as a destination brewery that if somebody's visiting from, say, Western Australia and Mm -hmm. they show up on a day when we could possibly be closed, I want to be open for them. So it's a 10,000 square foot facility in San Marcos, California. San Marcos is a suburb of San Diego. If you picture Mexico and Tijuana going south and San Diego sitting right along the border. We're on the northern above San Diego going towards Orange County and Disneyland and places like that. So there's a there's a road called the 78 Highway, which is known as the Hop Highway. Uh, Stone is on that. Uh, Lost Abbey Port Brewing and a number of other breweries. Mm. Uh, so we have a 10,000 square foot facility with a large spacious tasting room, seats about 250 people, 15 barrel brew house with um, about <coughs> capacity to do cold side, uh, 300 barrels of beer a month on a single turn. Uh, And we turn out about that. We do about 3,500 barrels of beer uh, a a year. Uh, Like I said, the tasting room, it's right up against the 78 freeway, which was important to me. I've been consulting at breweries and bars for decades now. And so I knew what I wanted to do, along with my partners, uh, to open up Wild Barrel. And one of them was to have freeway frontage, if possible. 168,000 people drive up and down that road. They see our sign, even if they're not a craft beer drinker, they go, oh, there's a brewery. Likewise, Lost Abbey Brewing, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, Port Brewing, mm-hmm. they're one of the most prestigious breweries in the world. They're three-tenths of a mile away from us, but they're a block back from the freeway behind other buildings, so the average Joe doesn't even know they're there, right? So that mm-hmm. was important. We, Our tasting room, having it be fairly comfortable and interesting, for example, we have a giant barrel in the middle of our tasting room that holds 25 people uh, that we converted over for, for ambiance sake. We have our barrel area where we have all of our sour beers and stouts mm-hmm. visible uh, in the tasting room. And then we have a couple patios, one in the back by our grain set silo that's open on the weekends. And a large one uh, post-pandemic or because of the pandemic, they allowed us to open. A large patio in the front, uh, which is great with San Diego weather, obviously. Mm. And then the other key, two keys, well-trained staff, right? Mm -hmm. Knowledgeable, friendly, well-trained staff. I've been beating that in, figuratively speaking, to front of the house (laughs) staffs for a very long time. And then our beer. Our beer Whether you like our beers or not, the one thing we stand by, it's all about quality, right? Mm -hmm. We'll never release a beer that we're not happy with. We'll pour it down the drain. We won't put it in a barrel and hope that it changes because it won't make it any better. And we won't call it something else because it has fruity esters and we decide to call it a Belgian IPA instead of a regular IPA, right? So those are all key components of Wild Barrel. And right. we're very proud of what we're doing there. Uh, when I first opened with my partners, I've obviously have been around craft beer since the mid 70s. Mm-hmm. And I had planned on doing a lot of traditional beers. I've been to Belgium 35 times. So one of my things was I'm going to brew Saisons and things like that. Well, we have not brewed a Saison yet because I have to tell you, The millennials are driving the market and they're most interested in flavor. So even though we're called Wild Barrel and we have a giant barrel program, our vice kettle sours, which we'll get to in a little bit, and hazy IPAs and pastry stouts, and we even do things called pastry sours. We're starting to do smoothie beers and uh, pastry cocktail sours, things I never thought we would be producing there. We're now producing in abundance because that's what the market's demanding. Mm -hmm. I always say it's fiscally irresponsible for a new brewery not to brew a hazy IPA in this day and age. So that's a little bit about the brewery. Um, We've won uh, some awards. We haven't entered a lot, but our Vice Series, I'll tell you about the awards we won on that when we get to that beer, I I guess. Mm
1: um so i and i think there, there's not many people would be more qualified to add to this so recently we had in Boldenbury on um and they're from they're from not far from your neck of the woods uh the the so for for us over in australia we don't get a sense of a lot of the different markets but i think you're the perfect personally explain kind of the san diego craft brewing history and and a little bit of an idea about about yeah the the different breweries and the importance of your little area in terms of of the the whole
2: craft beer scene sure so there are california obviously is a giant state right it's got over 40 million people Mm -hmm. uh it's got one of the largest economies in the world just as as if it was a standalone yeah. country and San Diego about two and a half million. It's probably, I'm probably off by a couple hundred thousand. And we have about 158,000 or sorry, 158,000 people that live in uh, the city of San Marcos, but it's all suburbia, right? It's all connected. You would never know that whether you're what city you're in, if you weren't trying to find out. So of all those people, There's about 160 breweries, all craft, that are in San Diego County, and Mm -hmm. that's grown exponentially since the uh, early 90s. Um, Some of the early progenitors were uh, Port Brewing, Pizza Port Brewing, excuse me, uh, started by Vincent Gina Marcellia. Uh, then Ballast Point, Carl Strauss Brewing, Stone Brewing, uh, Green Flash came a little bit later, mm. Alpine, places like that. And it was a very slow ramp up. But now it's about 10 to 12 breweries that open every year, even even through the pandemic. It's slowed down some, but it's about a half dozen. And we've had a pretty good success rate uh, with staying staying open. Right. Um yeah. Most of the breweries there are brewing really good beer, just like any place else. Mm -hmm. There are breweries that probably shouldn't open for various reasons, whether it's quality control, whether Mm -hmm. it's a poor business plan, whether it's being underfunded, whether it's being a home brewer who all your friends loved coming over and drinking your home brews and told you how great they were. And you just thought, well, I can brew beer professionally. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of new breweries that, that are popping up all the time, and some of them are ex- truly exceptional. San Diego County has averaged probably the most awards on average year in and year out over the last 15 years of both the World Beer Cup and uh, GABF, the Great American Beer Festival, mm-hmm. as any uh, city in the United States. So San Diego County has 158, 160 breweries. California has 750 plus breweries and the United States now has about 75 to 7,800 craft breweries. So you can see there's a large portion in California uh, alone. And uh, we've just been a really great place to enjoy great craft beer. Everything's pretty much drivable there's some neighborhoods and areas where you can walk or bike to a half dozen places but because we're in southern california people drive right so so there's a lot of driving going on but as i said earlier lost abbey this will be my last advertisement for lost abbey (laughs) tommy arthur from lost abbey he's the most awarded brewer in the history of american beer he's one and and people that have trained under him over 150 medals just at uh, GABF. So uh, it's a pretty fabulous place to be, and it's exactly where we want it to be.
0: Can I ask, if we were sitting in the tasting room with you today, the people around us, are they going to be locals or people who've travelled across the US or overseas tourists, for that matter? How, How much of the economy is really underpinned by beer
2: tourism, for want of a better term? So San Diego is a huge tourist destination, obviously, um, but you can't be successful just as a destination brewery. We have a lot of beer tourism. Every weekend, I'd say we have people from other countries, not even counting Mexico, which is really a suburb. Tijuana would be considered a suburb of San Diego if you were thinking distance, right? Mm -hmm. It's only like 35 miles from our brewery, uh, the border. So, but we have, just the other day, we had um, somebody, a couple that came in from Western Australia and they gave me a, uh, uh, I could tell you a little bit later on if it comes up about the different Australian beers I had, but I had a a, a Feral Warhog. Oh, yes. Yeah, which is right by your area. So they brought me one of those uh, and they had been getting our beers through Ford Hops and, and all you guys and, uh, Western Australia, but we're also in places like uh, Thailand, Vietnam, China, Japan, Korea, uh, Britain, Belgium, uh, Czech Republic, uh, Austria. Uh, we're going to be opening up in Chile, and, and like I said, we're a small brewery, but that was one of the things I wanted to get the beer out to the destinations we wanted to be at, and a, mm-hmm. and a few different states also. So that's we're kind of a unique brewery, also in the fact that we don't have a core lineup of beer. Well, I should say we have a draft core lineup of beer, Mm -hmm. but in packaged product, beer cans, we actually drive importers and distributors crazy (laughs) because we release five new beers or five beers every single month. And what happens is retail accounts love that, especially in California where they have access to that because they'll just buy a case of each and, wait till the end of the month and they'll get five new ones and their customers come in and they know, Oh, what's new from wild barrel. Right. So yeah. it's always a fun thing to, to kind of do that, but some of the bigger distributors don't get that. Hmm. So it's always been a challenge for us <coughs> to uh, find the right partnership when it comes to that. Um, oh, go David. Sorry. Uh, I really want to
0: ask about this beer, but before that, I really want to pick up on what you've just said there, because We speak to a number of breweries, particularly in Australia, who when they do that many different beers, don't have can art that looks as good as your can art does. They do a much more Mm. plain label because they can't afford to do a new run every time. Um, Your labels and everything look fantastic, but how do you reconcile the business side of that?
2: Well, um, I work 16 hours a day and uh, now i include stuff like this and part of my job is drinking beer plus i'm an expert in beer and food pairings whiskies spirits cocktails cigars wines things like that anybody wants to send me some penfold grange i just drank my last <laughs> bottle so yeah, we've, um, we've got free. it lying
0: around everywhere it was you know it was like the gold rush <laughs> here you know just in terms of oh, no you walk down the street um, and you're tripping over
2: grange yeah well semion's could you have some great semion's there too but anyways So I, I enjoy all, all those different things. So, but I'm, I'm not only CEO co-founder, I run our tasting rooms. Uh, I have great people under me, but I run our tasting rooms. I right now run all of our sales uh, for all of our distributors overseas, everything. I do all the education uh, and I oversee the social media. I was doing it myself, but now I at least have somebody working under me and I, create or select the can art on all of our cans I have a graphic artist that I plug in and say this is what I want on that Uh, find me this picture find me this or I have this picture I want you to run with it but so I I basically do all the can art so I'm very proud of it
1: yeah, it's it is it, so. it's stunning. Yeah, it stands out. It's it's really creative. Um, I think it does reflect what's on the beer, so it's good fun. Um, let's 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 go to the beer itself, and I think I think um it'd be a good time to have a chat about the Vice series. But let's let's specifically look at the watermelon and strawberry uh sour that we've got in front of us. Would you would you uh be happy enough to give us a little bit of a tasting of this um i think i've uh, given that you're uh you're you actually train you're now let me let me butcher this the <laughs> let me butcher this uh uh qualification um thoroughly here uh, well, so <laughs> yeah oh
2: chicharrones are good to eat that's pork skin but yeah. <laughs> uh deep fried pork skin but it's actually cicerone cicerone there we go cicerone right so that's a beer, beer sommelier. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been teaching about tasting beer and aromatics and things like that uh, about 20 years before the Cicerone program started. But Cicerone program is a great way for uh, front of the house staff, uh, brewery people, and uh, just craft beer aficionados to learn how to do certain things when it comes to beer and learn about beer styles and things like that. Um, I could go into heavy detail and give my usual. I told you guys we were in trouble before we started because <laughs> I do three hour lectures, by the way, I, mm-hmm. I do three hour lectures in school. So I, I, I can talk forever and I'm not going to get into olfactory glands and gustatory nerves and all those things, unless that's a follow-up question and you guys want to hear about I, that stuff. I, I think it so has to I, be I, now. <laughs> So basically, you have all the senses, right? Your sense of smell is 90% of flavor, right? Uh, the recipe is aroma, taste, and mouthfeel equal the flavor of whatever you're having. And mm-hmm. when it comes to your senses, you have tactile senses, which range about uh, a couple thousand different sensations. You have uh, your taste buds, right, which have sweet, sour, salty, savory, or umami bitter and now fat they they've received in the last study that they did about a decade ago your hearing and sight are linear they go from pitch black to the brightest light couple hundred thousand variations hearing is a pitches in the same range up to a million different variations sense of smell is actually 1.4 trillion aroma variations that are there early prehistoric man had to develop that because they didn't have, I don't know, you guys may not have them, but they didn't have 7-Elevens, we have 7-Elevens here, or convenience stores. They didn't have convenience stores where you go get chili cheese fries and a hot dog. So if they found an animal on the side of the road, they needed to know if it was still good to eat. Or if they were picking berries, they needed to know if there were Mm -hmm. overly sweet berries, which had a tendency to be poisonous. So they developed their sense of smell very quickly. And that's why our sense of smell is ninety percent of flavor. An easy way to prove that is if you've ever been cold, had a cold or been stuffy, and your food that your favorite food didn't taste the same, that's because your sense of smell isn't working right. So, what happens is when you're breathing in on any aromatics, whether it's smelling your food, smelling a great whiskey, a great wine, a great beer, you're going in what's called ortho and retronasally through your nose and your mouth which goes to your olfactory gland, which Mm -hmm. goes to your brain, then to your gustatory nerves, which are not just on your taste buds, but all over your palate. And what happens is that's allowing you to pick up all those amazing things. And when you go in orally, what happens is you're still breathing that in and it's in your mouth. So that's where you get this really extreme combination of aromatics and flavors. So anytime you're trying something, you should be able to pick up 10 aromas and 10 10 tastes of that beer or wine just by going in there and, and teaching yourself. So, uh, you know, I don't tell people to do this when they're sitting in their local pub because they'll look at you funny and move you down at the end. <laughs> but when I'm judging beer or we're doing a new blend of a vice series or we're doing, um, you know, hop trials, uh, we, all, we always sit there and try it. And we do uh, a couple little uh, sips. We do a sip. Vigorously swish it around your mouth. That cleanses the palate uh, from the whiskey Warren just had before this and the gum (laughs) David just put under his desk and things like that. And then you take a little sip and pull air over the front. That, be careful, if it goes down the wrong way, you'll spray your computer screen. And that opens your palate. So a hoppy beer won't be as bitter or sour beer won't be as tart. Uh, a red wine won't be as tannic, and Ila whiskey won't be as peaty now you're prepared to taste the beer so sorry that's my discourse a little short shortened version of a discourse on tasting Beautiful. but the vice series is a series of kettle sours which are mm-hmm. soured in the kettle, and then they they, we stop the process whereas sour beers like a Belgian lambic would be soured and left to sour in a barrel or a Oud Bruin from Flanders, for example, would be allowed to sour in a tank or a Flanders Red would sour in a, um, a fooder, a big giant wooden barrel. So kettle sours are brewed and they only take about the same length of time as say an IPA, a pale ale, something like that, about 21 days to, to create. So we sour them get them down to a very low pH, about 3132, which is very low. And then we fruit them vigorously with large copious amounts of either whole fruit or whole fruit concentrate with no additives or preservatives or binders. And we do that in post-fermentation. So on the cold side, and that's why our vice series, as you have them, have an insane amount of fruit notes to them hmm. uh, a lot of times we get comments from judges that are less experienced and they say well there's synthetic fruit in there and stuff because how could it taste like that well because we're idiots and we spend a lot of money on fruit and put more fruit than the average brewer does to stand out and do that and put a huge amount at a huge cost to us but but we're very proud of it matter of fact our base vice uh, by the way vice viCE for anybody who's wondering, we're in America. Americans aren't great with other languages. Berliner Vice, which the vice Weiss is W-E-I-S-S-E. First of all, most of them would call it Weiss. And secondly, they wouldn't pronounce it correctly. So I made it simple for them. Uh, v I C E, it's a fun mm. gimmick. Uh our tagline is pick your vice, right? And so it has a lot of uh, innuendos and and double double entendres and stuff like that. But our our base vice is called. Weiss sans fruit, without fruit, and it's actually won the gold medal for two consecutive years at the Great American Beer Festival for American Sour Beer, which we're very proud of, and it's very unheard of when there's 7,000, 8,000 beers in that competition uh, to win back-to-back medals for the same beer in two years, so you can tell that the base beer is, is a really good Berliner Vice style right off the bat, and what makes it unique if you've ever had just a straight-up Berliner Weiss, they're usually about 3, 3.2%, and they're very lactic, and they're one-dimensional. You don't pick up a lot. That's why the the, uh, the the people of Berlin created adding Woodruff, essence of Woodruff or raspberry, to cut through the lactic acidity. Well, our Weiss sans fruit actually has aromatics and flavors of ripe stone fruit apricots peaches and nectarines Mm -hmm. so it already has a really nice flavor profile and we serve that at our brewery along with the other 30 beers we serve at the brewery of which a dozen of them usually are different vice flavors so this particular beer is 5.2 it is vice strawberry watermelon or watermelon strawberry i always mix them up because i have a bunch of new ones coming out watermelon strawberry. strawberry It's got a beautiful light magenta, hot pink color. Mm. It's got aromatics of the strawberry that comes through with a little bit of pickled watermelon rind. Mm. And then when you taste it, you're getting this beautiful strawberry, ripe strawberry that comes in. And then it finishes with a really nice, I don't know if you guys have Jolly Rancher candy there. But we, we have don't. this candy called Jolly Rancher, so it's, it finishes with the watermelon Jolly Rancher characteristic. So these sours, even though I have we have an amazing barrel program with some world class uh, barrel age sours and imperial stouts, these sours are for everyday people, and they're sweet tart with a good acidity. But whatever vice you try from us, it's going to have. A lot of thought put into it and it's going to taste like the fruit for example most strawberry sours get very phenolic or band y because they have seeds in them we have the seeds removed because of that fact and because of my year band we have a vice montmorenze cherry which is a tart michigan cherry that one is reduced down on the pits so we have hints of marzipan cinnamon and almond from the mm. cherry stone, our apricot peach is like walking into an orchard where all the fruits falling to the ground, because it's so ripe, our Vice Black Courant, which I believe David is one of the beers that sent out, I set that up for red wine drinkers in our tasting room. So it's got the supage of a Merlot Cabernet blend with a tabac tannic finish, so it reminds people who drink red wine and don't drink beer, although, to be honest, they could drink any of these fruited sours if they like the fruit. Mm. Um that, to to drink it and so because most Americans don't know what black Quran or cassis is hmm. so every one of our vices is set up to give you an experience of what the fruit is and we've been able to come up with some really unique blends things like papaya mulberry and passion cactus dragon fruit where the cactus is a prickly pear and it gives off hints of cilantro and celery but so subtle between the intense aromatics of the passion fruit. So uh, that's a little bit about our Vice Series, or a lot about our Vice Series, sorry.
0: (laughs) It's a fantastic lineup, and um, we've got a couple of local breweries here in Melbourne who who love playing with prickly pear. Uh, Before we started, I had the Vice Fruit Basket, and when you're talking about the number of flavors that the palate can detect, uh, for people who haven't opened and tried that beer yet, uh, you're in for a real treat when you do, because... Uh, Now, correct me here, Bill, but six or seven different fruits in that beer. And it was a a real interesting uh, array of flavors that come through, even as the beer warms up and changes a little.
2: Yeah, that's uh, uh, that one's got. uh, Let me think here. Uh, Cranberries, peaches, blueberries, boysenberries, passion fruit and apricots Mm -hmm. and bourbon. uh, uh, Madagascar bourbon, vanilla beans, everything we use is the finest quality. I mean, we might not buy <clears throat> Kopi Luwak civet Cat coffee at uh, $300 a, a pound, but we buy really good cold brew or coffee when we're using it in a stout from an artisanal maker. So we, we try to get really good fruit uh, wherever we can or ingredients as a whole. One question
0: that sprang to mind while you were leading us through that Tasting uh, earlier on of, of the, this particular beer, uh, we haven't had a discussion about glassware for a long time here on the podcast, but it's uh, an issue that we really do take seriously. And I guess by way of example, if if people were tasting the three beers we're having today, the watermelon and strawberry, then the Cosmic Zen and then the Imperial Stout, would would you yourself serve all three of those beers out of the same glasses or do you have different glasses for different beers?
2: We do. We do. Uh, as much as I loved being in Belgium and if you could see my cellar right now and my game room, I have a a big cigar humidor and a bar and glasses all around. You'd see that I have a collection of about 1400 different glasses, including antiques and all kinds of Belgian beer glasses and Steins and everything. But you're talking to the Pope of proper glassware right (laughs) now. Um, Actually, that's a, that's a T-shirt that will our, make
0: you for Christmas. We'll send that. We'll send that over.
2: There you go. I'm drinking out of a Vice Tiku only because we sell these to go, mm. but we will not serve people with these. And we have some other glasses. There's only two glasses we use in our tasting room, and I'm a huge proponent of that. And it would be only one, and it was always only one, excepting we have a slow pour taps for our German pills, so it does a side pour, <laughs> which pours a beautiful uh, creamy head and it takes about three or four minutes to pour the beer. So we have a cylindrical Pilsner glass for that. That's really nice, but Mm -hmm. there's one, one glass to rule them all as they say in that other country (laughs) by when they made that movie, Um, this is it. This glass is what we serve all our beer at in wild barrel. It is a 17 and a half ounce embassy uh, cognac style snifter. Okay, this has our name on it, but the ones we serve in the tasting room. This is a tip for any publicans out there. Don't serve logoed glassware unless you want them to go home as a souvenir because we all make bad decisions late at Mm -hmm. night after a night of drinking. Beautiful. I like it, Shannon. Um, on our glasses that are service glasses, we have a four-ounce pour line and an eight-ounce pour line, and it's literally a line with a little barrel in between them. And that is what we serve everything. I am so tired of spending the last few decades going in and getting shot glasses for my samplers and not being able to swirl it, not being able to get the aromatics and flavor. So what I do is I go, I'm gonna be needy when I go into a new place, but, and I tip well, and I usually put like a 20 down on the bar and say, can I get a big size glass, but I only want you to pour a couple ounces in it so I can get the aromatics out of it. Mm-hmm. So when we do a taster flight, which we do, it's with these glasses, we also serve eight ounce and 16 ounce pours, which at 17 ounces gives it a true serving. The little glasses, even the little versions of this that are three ounces, they're cool and they're great festival beer glasses, but they fill them right to the rim. So how are you supposed to swirl it? How are you supposed to get any aromatic action as you're going down? They want to leave a little foam on it, right? Because you want those aromatics coming through those. The other thing is the shaker pint glass. The most common glass you see in any pub around mm. the world, right? That 16-ounce shaker pint glass. Yeah. You know why it has the name shaker pint glass? Because the only place it belongs is in the other end of my tumbler when you're making my martini for me, okay? <laughs> The problem is when the microbrewery industry started in the early 70s uh, or mid 70s late early 80s they had to find the cheapest pint glass in the glass catalogs that they can get and that was 62 cents a glass at the time so they all started using those pint glasses they're stackable which is not a good thing but they seemed like a good thing at a time because it puts micro abrasions on the inside of the glass mm-hmm. which allows bacteria to build up and they are great for advertising, right? They do have advertising, but even our big breweries, our Bud Miller Coors breweries, never used those glasses prior to the craft beer industry, which was called the microbrew industry at the time, started using them, so that's kind of a dirty little secret of the American craft beer industry, is that we kind of push that glass onto the world, unfortunately, but yeah, I don't, I have some antique ones, but I, I I don't drink out of them. I'd rather drink out of a red wine glass because you're going to be able to get those aromatics and things. So sorry. It's I'm a little bit miles away
0: from the kind yeah, of glass. That's,
2: that's a perfect plaque. Anything with any curvature. I mean, if you go on and taste your beer, I get sometimes you're having a, having it out of the bottle or or the can and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, if, if you're going to take the trouble of pouring in a glass, pour it in a glass where you can truly enjoy the beer. And, and certain glasses give off different aromatics, but they're all good as long as they have a little curvature, whether it's a tulip or a snifter or, you know, any of the, any a uh, red wine glass, white wine glass, mm-hmm. you name it. There's all kinds that that work really well. So, yeah, we're kind of unique because drives my partners crazy because I'm like, these are not cheap glasses. And we have like 800 of them on the floor at any given time. And they're like, ah, oh, man, we got to buy more glasses. Can't we just buy something cheaper? No. I'm <laughs> no, sorry so yeah this is my glass for that that's what I'll be drinking the cosmic zen out of in a minute well that
0: was to so that's a thank you for making that segue because I was about to to jump to that point myself but I really think the point you've made there about the kinds of particularly shot or really small glasses that you get in a tasting paddle uh so often don't present the beer in the way that I'm sure the brewer would want it to be presented and particularly, by the way, you know, by the time you get to the end of a tasting paddle of, say, six, the last beer or two that you have is often both flat and pretty uninspiring. I reckon if if brewers who love their products saw the way their beers get presented, uh, sometimes in their own breweries, it must make them tear their hair out.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, I get it. You know, a lot of times you don't have the budget or the money, but I mm. I, I I think you have to sacrifice certain things and 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 to get the right products and, and the great assists for a great beer, right? If you're proud of your beer, put it in something where it's going to be well represented. And, and like I said, uh, I get it. We struggle, especially during the pandemic, you know, financially getting these things, but there's certain standards and it's, it's each their own, whatever they want to do, but I'm a firm believer of following the, you know, our standards while, while we're here. Still in yeah, business, give, I mean.
0: Oh, absolutely. And we, we've, I think, both Warren and I have certainly been in the case of running venues and having to make those decisions. But you're right, sooner or later, you've got to decide who it is that you want coming through the door and what you expect to be able to charge people. And that's based on the, the quality that you, that you give to people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You've given if we have us 11- time. I'll
2: tell you a quick, funny story about that. Yeah. So we yeah. have all, you know, you could be seen from the fr- freeway. So we have new customers coming in all the time. We do have locals. I didn't really extrapolate on that. I talked a little bit about being a beer destination place. We have tons of local groups that come in and fans. And, you know, especially with these vice series, you can imagine there's a lot of uh, soccer moms that don't, or football moms, you would say, uh, that don't uh, normally drink beer that come in and buy four packs all the time uh, of these beers to go and and whatnot. And there was a, a, a construction company right down the road from our brewery. That would come in on Friday nights, and they brought in, they just hired some new people and they brought in uh some some new workers, and most of them were Bud Miller or Kurz drinkers, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time we didn't have our German pills or our Mexican pale lager on. We had a Belgian wit as our gateway beer, and we had hazy IPAs, which to me are gateway beers. Mm-hmm. And we had some they had some new employees, and there was this one Hispanic gentleman who you know, was used to drinking Coronas out of the bottle. And he said, "Uh, can I get something like that out of a can? And I said, no, sorry, we don't do that. And he goes, well, I'll just have water. And so I sent him over to our water tap. We have a self-serve water tap and the the tap handle says Kerr's light on it. And it's actually a (laughs) Kerr's light tap handle. Um, And I sent him over there and then finally he goes, well, I really want a beer. Can I try something? And I said, uh, yeah, I go. You know what blue moons like? Well, this is a sexier blue moon. Try our white rabbit, or I have another beer. It's an IPA, and he go. Oh, I don't like IPAs; they're bitter. And I said, Well, I want you to try this. It's gonna have mm. these really fun aromas. Do you like? Do you like uh, pineapple? And he goes, Yeah. And I go, Do you like grapefruit? And he goes, Yeah. And I go, and and you smoke a little uh, pot ever? And he goes, Yeah, I have. And I go, so it's kind of danky too. And I go, just smell it and try it, Mm. and he did, and he goes, okay, I like that, but then he goes, do you have another glass, because I can't hold the glass like this, I can't drink out of a glass like this, and I'm like, sorry, this is the only glass we have, but I'm going to pour you a pint, I think you're going to love it, and so about 45 minutes later, I was walking from the brew house to my office, and I see him standing with about 14 of his buddies, And he's swirling the glass like this (laughs) of his beer and and nosing it with his buddies. And so I go, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what I want to see. I want people to just be open to trying things. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I've got
0: to say, we were talking before the podcast started about, you know, what kind of ethos we have, or we want people to be tuning into this podcast, you know, listening for the first time and, and wanting to be able to be taken on a journey where, from the very beginning we're explaining the basics but if you've been with us for all 130 episodes there's always something new to be learning about particularly when oh, we get yeah. to pick the brain of someone like Bill um Warren I've just poured my cosmic zen yeah so agent do you want to so, yeah. uh, so, do you want to kick things off with this we couldn't have someone on from San Diego have an IPA in the pack and not talk hops
2: yeah couldn't have sure done. so this is one of our we do about 20 hazies a year, and most of them are double IPAs, which is a double IPA at 7.5%. And then we do West Coast. We do some wonderful West Coast IPAs, which I hesitate to send uh, overseas only because I want them to be, you know, they need to be fresher. Uh, hazy mm. IPAs don't have the bitterness to drop out, which is what always ages in a, a, a West Coast or A regular clear IPA if it has high IBUs, international bittering units, because they drop out, the beer starts to seem malty. People think it's oxidized. So the beauty of hazy IPAs is is they have very low bitterness. So they have a longer shelf life, believe it or not, than a West Coast IPA. So this is one of our more subtle hazies. You can see it's really not overly hazy. Uh, This is called Cosmic Zen at 7.5%. So we consider this a double hazy ipa um it's got cashmere azaka and mosaic hops (laughs) so uh cashmere is um let me get my brain going is is the child of cascade and northern brewer hops and it's got like lemony lime notes and melon uh azaka uh, these are all american hops azaka is a pine mango uh citrus, kind of a tangerine. And then uh, mosaic is kind of a chameleon. It will match a lot of other things. It's derived from early Simcoe. Uh, I get, when I have mosaic, I get like tropical mango, blueberry, bubblegum, like pink bubblegum, uh, the kind that's powdery that we had when we were growing up, that kind of thing. So I get all these notes. So on this beer, it's a very subtle aromatics But I definitely get some soft citrus, and it's tangerine instead of grapefruit. Grapefruit has a tendency to jump out at you. Tangerine is much more subtle. I get a little more Meyer lemon, which is a sweeter kind of cross between a lemon and an orange. Mm. I get a little melon. I get a little herbal note. I get bubblegum for sure, and blueberry. Mm And then when I try it, I get pine, more citrus, uh, a little bit of mango, pineapple, a little bit of stone fruit, peach, Mm -hmm. uh, not as aggressive as the apricot or nectarine. A little bit of bitterness across the back palate, which is nice, but it's only probably 22 IBUs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some earthiness and spice to go with the pine. And the more your, your palate gets acclimated to it, a little more pine comes through. I'm usually into bigger, aggressive, uh, hot profiles. So like mm. our Prince of Dankness, which is our core double IPA, the first one we ever brewed. That's is a bright percent, Thanks. And it's uh, Nelson, Motueka, Simcoe. And it's big and nasty and dank and just way over the top and lovely. Uh, so, I like those kind of characteristics of Amarillo, Simcoe, uh, Galaxy, love Galaxy, um, things like that. Uh, Citra is what we use for our citrus crush with Mandarina Bavaria. So, this is a more delicate hazy uh, mm-hmm. when you sent me the list of what was available. But I think it holds up pretty well. I mean, this is this has been out for a little bit, and it's still presenting pretty nicely absolutely Any comments on yeah. there
1: yeah i really it's quite delicious and there's like a on the palate there's like this savory kind of you know like can when you get to the bottom of the orange part of a cantaloupe kind of that round got sure. uh, really lush like a little bit green but also also re- still really fruity kind character to it um yeah it's it's got a it's got a fair bit going on for something that that you've you've kind of described as kind of why you more subtle ones
2: yeah it's subtle but it's got a lot of nuances i think it's because why i think of it as subtle is not a, pe- a lot of people picture melon or blueberries in their ipas right mm. and so they're yep. not used to picking those out they're usually used to big citrus big tropical yeah. notes big yep. earthy dankness pine stuff like that like we have one called Hop Obsession 2.0, which is all Simcoe and Amarillo, right? So it's all pine and grapefruit and just big over the top. Uh, so I think it's got a lot of nuanced flavors in it, uh, which, which is nice. Um, we try to have our our draft menu, for example, yep. gentlemen, is and any ladies that are out there, uh, our draft menu is not as esoteric as I would like because I can't really make Rauk beers and things like that and expect Mm -hmm. to move them in this day and age at 15 barrels at a time. But we we always have our Belgian wit, our German pills, Crispy Boys. Um, I'm hoping to send this to Western Australia on the next visit. Um, Crispy Boys. I love it. There we go. Right. Um, And then we have usually a coffee milk stout called Hipster Latte Uh, The Mm -hmm. full name of that is Sorry We're Out of Avocado Toast, Try Our Hipster Latte. Um, (laughs) And then we usually have uh, two to three West Coast IPAs. We have five to seven hazies on right now. Then we have two barrel aged sours, uh, three barrel aged imperial stouts, and old ale called Not Last Year's Fruitcake that was aged in Templeton rye barrels, um, which I dearly love. And then we have uh, two slushies because we have a slushy machine, believe it or not. Another thing that I did not want to do, but it sells like gangbusters in San Diego weather. Um, And then we have our vice sands fruit and we have 14 vices on right now. So we're kind of unique. Most breweries don't usually have 30 beers on tap, but we do. And they all, we blow through them enough. We're a popular enough tasting room that Nothing sits for a long time and uh, everything stays fresh and delicious.
1: That is incredible. Like, so you've, in that list, I did notice you had a substantial number of hazies. And this is a question we've kind of been, we've kind of been dragging out for a long time, for as long as we've been doing the podcast, I think, David. I reckon so. (laughs) uh, yeah, and I think your first comment uh, at the beginning of the podcast is, uh, is a good indication of what you might answer now, but do you see the hazy, the hazy train stopping at any point? Do you see it? Do you see the the whole idea of hazy is kind of slowing
2: down at, at the very least? No. Uh, yes. I, I see them slowing down. Uh-huh. Uh, definitely. Yep. Uh, You know, IPAs are one of the most broadest spectrum uh, styles there are with, uh, at any given time, a dozen different styles being produced around Mm -hmm. the world from brewed IPAs to white IPAs to black IPAs, red IPAs, uh, Belgian IPAs, West Coast, English IPAs, hazy hazy or New England IPAs, excuse me, uh, different things like that. Hazy IPAs have a much longer shelf life, and I'm not talking, I'm talking figuratively like in years as far as being around than other beers. Imper- I used to love black IPAs, and there were some great ones out there. Firestone and Stone both did some great versions of black IPA. Mm. Stone Sublimely Self-Righteous, and Firestone did Wookie Jack, which had a little bit of rye, and so it <clears throat> won over Sublimely for me as far as the best <laughs> black IPA out there. But mm. those things go by the wayside. Brood IPAs, which we did a really nice example of it, went by the wayside, right? Here's where hazy IPAs are always going to be around in some mm. version or another. They may not be the beer geek's friend anymore. And one of my nicknames is grandfather of beer geeks, because if we want to go back into my history, I was doing beer tastings uh, and bottle shares in the late 70s. So... Mm before people even realized what those things were about. So I use that term beer geek affectionately, where some people use it more derogatorily. Um, here's why it won't go away. Even when it's not a fad, even when people aren't lining up for other half or Trillium or Treehouse, which are legendary producers on the East Coast, mm-hmm. it's an easy IPA. You can't take a person who drinks Victor Bravo, or Fosters, or Coopers, and say, here's a stone ruination at 100 IPUs, drink it, you're going to like it, but you could take a beer like this, and say, mm-hmm. do you like melon, do you like tropical notes, yeah. you smell it, you smell them, and we put four and a half pounds per barrel, which is a lot in our, of hops mm-hmm. in there, um, And and actually, we just switched the process right after this beer, so we have even better aromatics for future ones coming out. Cause we've just readjusted when we're adding our hops and at what temperatures, but you, you can tell them and have them relate to, Oh, this smells like grapefruit or pine. Do you pick that mm-hmm. up? Yeah. Try it. And it's not bitter. This is mm-hmm. easy for them to drink. If they yes. can drink a blue moon, they can drink this. They yeah. can drink a, a, a Budweiser. They can drink this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more flavor than a Budweiser for sure, but mm. <clears throat> it's not offensive or aggressive. So as a gateway, it's always going to be around and they're great to get them into that where uh, two months later, they're drinking a stone ruination or, you know, a feral warhog, you know, or something like that. That's more aggressive. Uh, and even though that's the same, same kind as this, but mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. They can, they'll their palate will eventually change and they'll enjoy uh, more aggressive flavors as they move along. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a really great take. I think that's a really fascinating and and very insightful take. Um and maybe you could provide us with another one. Um so the Australian market tends to be a few steps behind the American the American trends. Um what can you see as emerging trends in the US that that will grow and could and could reach the Australian shores?
2: Okay. Um oh, let me say one other thing. When it comes to hazy IPAs, well, I'm going to say a lot more than one other thing, but when it comes to hazy IPAs, uh, I have very dear friends in the beer industry, some of the finest IPA producers in the world, Tommy Arthur from Pizza Port and Port fame, uh, Jeff Bagby, uh, who has also won multiple medals, uh, Pat Michelini, who started Alpine Brewing, which is a legendary IPA producer, Vinny Salerzo from Russian River. They all initially hated hazy IPAs because initially in the microbrewery industry, all the beers were cloudy because we didn't find them as well. Um, No comment on, uh, on the guy from Embolden what he said about finding by the way, I thought he had some pretty uh, out there answers, but uh, no comment on that. Go back and have a listen in the archives.
0: If you missed that out, just for reference. Thanks for bringing the archive on that.
2: I wanted to hear, (laughs) Um, but anyways, they are still, Tommy to this day, even though they make hazies now at Port Brewing, to this day is like, hazy IPAs. Rah, rah, rah. Hate hate the fuckers. Um, but uh, you have to embrace it, and you have to embrace them. So the newest fad out here is cold IPAs. Uh-huh. And, and cold IPAs, guess what? They're not new. The brewery was doing an IPL, which is an India Pale Lager, mm-hmm. 14 years ago. Uh, they're not new. They're just called cold IPAs now because they're cold fermented and they're with lager yeast. And so they're a hoppy lager, but they're cold IPAs. So that's the newest trend and people are packaging them. So I expect, uh, because, uh, Peter and his team from Ford hops or have a lot of, uh, American, uh, beers are bringing over. I expect you guys to see that sooner than later. Yeah, there are um,
0: there are a few going around at the moment, but I think we probably had what four or five major ones on the Australian market last Australian summer. I think next Australian summer will be the one where all the breweries are geared up and ready to go. So,
2: got it. Yeah, yeah there's a probably. lot of rumors about things. Smoothies, of course, which have been around for a while, will continue to come out. Like I said, we're even we're even doing that more and crazy stuff where they're putting in. Look, like my brewer is presenting me with tastings and he's going. Now, I put strawberry, I put our good fruit, our strawberry, banana in here, but I also put vanilla soft serve ice cream and, and birthday cake, cheesecake mix, and stuff like that. So that's coming. And I think it's probably already there, also. Um, <laughs> it's coming out. Uh, I think we've finally seen the end, or we're getting towards the end of the big FMB fermentable malt beverage scourge that was seltzers
0: mm-hmm. uh
2: historically there's always been fmbs right there were uh Bartle and James wine coolers and Zima and all these different things that were fermentable malt beverages not yep. not your father's root beer and uh you know daiquiri cocktails and cans and things like yep. that and seltzer far outpaced them but as I fought my one thing I drew line on was with my partners is, I said, no, we don't need to do a seltzer because we're not competing in the local grocery store shelves, which is mm-hmm. why places like Stone and other big craft breweries did that because they're big regional breweries and they need to be on those shelves. And it's taking yep. a huge part of the market share. And it, and it was much more aggressive than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But I think we've started to see uh, the major producers start to drop their lines a little bit and, and see those going down uh, a lot. Uh, Another thing, which I'm sure you guys are already seeing there, uh, I know Garage Project is New Zealand, not here, Mm -hmm. but just like they've always been doing kind of more botanicals and things like that, Mm -hmm. I think there's a much greater uh, issue where people are bringing more and more botanicals back into their beer like the Belgians always have. Mm -hmm. And then terpenes, do you guys have terpene beers there? no uh, not so far no so terpenes come into two categories they come in derived from marijuana right
0: mm-hmm. or
2: they come in derived from other produce but they have the aromatics as classic uh cannabis sativa and indica <laughs> strains right uh-huh. so they smell like big purple oh, scents yeah. or buds and yeah. different things like that and so people are putting those in their beers and the reason why they're not using the ones that are derived from, uh, you know, non, you know, like like just like CBC, CBC and stuff, CB, CBDs yeah. and stuff like that, is to get by our our national trade organization, which is the TTB, uh, tobacco firearms thing. Mm-hmm. And so they they created terpenes that are not derived from marijuana, but they have the aroma of marijuana. So they have yeah. that. Also, we're seeing a lot, and our people that like our Vice series definitely do this, where they're taking things like uh, tahini, which is a uh, kind of a, a, a like a margarita rimming spice, and they're doing things yeah. like that on beers, where they're they're serving beers with mm. ridiculous things on them. They're crushing up Oreo cookies and putting them on the rims of glasses and pouring stouts in them and stuff. So. I think it's just getting farther and farther out there and crazier and that's going on. But I also think that traditional styles are starting to make a comeback and you're seeing uh, some pretty interesting beers come out there like Zwickle beers and uh, you know pale Rauk beers and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of excited about that too. But no big trend other than cold IPAs. That's the biggest thing going right now.
0: Cold IPAs make sense. The end of seltzers would be major thing because i think they're probably still on the upward trend here even though they're very much not the kind of thing we have in the cool room uh and beer cocktails and so forth well just an opportunity for me to plug the fact that i'll be doing beer cocktails at yarra botanica (laughs) uh on the yarra river in a couple of saturdays time nothing quite as uh i don't think we're doing any oreo biscuit ones but Warren, you and I have done uh, beer cocktails in the past, and the margarita is still a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: Nice. Um, (laughs) That is wow. I'm just blown away with Bill's answer then, because yeah, that that went through. There's there there's a lot to unpack there. There is a a great amount of information to unpack there. (laughs) Um, Maybe. Maybe and we've we haven't even we haven't even really discussed the beer. We've just, well we have, but yeah, it's just we've we've just had so much more information there, and the the it's been great to be able to sip this amazing beer while we've talked about all that. It's just been terrific. Um, should we go back? Uh, should we? Oh, I I don't know. Maybe it's time for a short break.
2: Sure, whatever you guys want to do.
0: Why don't we take a short break? Yeah. We'll have a little pause. And um, that way people can get their stout ready and or just sip and enjoy the end of this and savour it like it deserves to be. And that's where we're going to leave uh, episode one of our special two episodes with Bill Sysak. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've taken the chance to jump onto the Shopify and grab those beers. Uh, As you can hear from the descriptions, they are truly amazing beverages. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, because episode two of this double-parter will be coming out in four or five days' time. Uh, And until then, uh, many happy wishes from the Cool Room. Bye for now.